0: This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. This lady's name has been synonymous with this election season in terms of what it looks like to get involved. And, and you know, for those of you who do not know her, um, you know, now's the time. These are the these are the names we should be talking about. These are the names we should have been talking about all along because this is the work that's being done that uh, very few people want to do, by the way. So she's going to talk to us about the blueprint of what she's done. And she is the co-founder of Black Voters Matter. She's one of the reasons why Georgia right now is sitting firmly in a blue spot. And Stacey Abrams may be governor. And we may have two senators coming out of that state because of the work she's done, among other uh, others, Let me welcome to the show for the first time, Ms. Latasha Brown. Thank you for coming through. Thank you for having me, sister. Thank you for having me on here. Listen, um, you know, we, we a lot of us, you know, mic jockeys, you know, keyboard jockeys, you know, they talk about you know, empowerment and I, I'm going to put myself in that position. Very few of us are out there in the streets and out there during a pandemic, out there when nobody, no cameras are there. Take us all the way back, Latasha, to the first time that you decided that you were going to do something. Mm.
1: Well, the first thing I did right was the day I started to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize and hold on, hold on. You know, that's a song um, from I call eyes on the prize. And there was a film called eyes on the prize that documented what happened in the 60s. And so I'm a native of Selma, Alabama, which was instrumental in the voting rights movement. And so while I wasn't around yet, when the voting rights movement took place, many of the people who were young organizers at the time wound up being, were my, um, mentored me in in, uh, some form or fashion. And so you can't grow up in Selma and not hear kind of the stories of what people were experiencing in Selma and so a lot of what happened in the place where I was in that place actually shaped me shaped my belief around the possibilities, what black people could do, right? The possibilities of what you could do when you tapped into your humanity, even though those folks in Selma didn't have government on their side, they didn't have the most resources. It wasn't like they were wealthy and they were dropping dollars. What they did have though, is they had this, this sense of belief in their own agency and their own power. And so even as a child, you know, it's so funny, my whole trajectory, because there's a running joke in my family, Karen, around um, when I was a child, when as a kid, I would be with my grandmother, and or anybody, and I would go to a store, and I always I was obsessed with who was the owner. Like, so we would go to Walmart or Kmart, and I was like, "Who owns Kmart?" My grandma was like, "Baby, I don't know who owns Kmart, <laughs> right?" But I was like, "I want to know who owns it." We were going to McDonald's. Literally, that was my mind. I wanted to know who was in charge. I just had this thing about really knowing. And I realized as I got older that that. There was something about that that I was already always intrigued with. Who had power? Had, who had power to make decisions? And then the second thing is that I never liked bullies. I mean, from like I could be the little girl, the little skinny girl with the with the um, the ribbons, and because I was prissy, I was like the prissiest tomboy ever. Because I was I like being prissy, right? But I would pull up on a brother in a heartbeat if I saw them trying to um, take advantage of something. I never could stand seeing someone take advantage of another person's weakness there was something about that so I would be the I would be the little girl that go jump in the fights right or the little girl that would would um the boy that was quiet and the other boys the bully boys mess with him. you know I might jump in or even the girls that were mean the bottom line is I always felt like there was some role or some responsibility I had with stopping the pain of other people and so I think Mm. that Combined with this obsession that I had, um, and probably still have, around power and how people use their power, that kind of came together, and so Selma became like a breeding ground for that. I moved when I, I moved to Selma with my aunt at twelve, and as I was like, like that became. That became the space of, um, actually, I came there a little bit before that, but that became the space in which I started thinking about the environment around me and how I could impact it. And so I didn't grow up, I didn't get up one day, I was like, I'm going to be an activist. Like, that's not what my thought was. I wanted to, one, know who had power, how I could find out who had power to influence that, and then two, I wanted the pain to stop. And so, and then at some point they, they came together, like if you got power, you can help the pain to stop. And so that's part of, um, part of what shaped, kind of shaped my work. My first organizing work, uh, I was organizing um, public housing and residence councils and public housing in both Tuskegee and Selma. And like I said, it was so funny because I don't know if it wasn't something that I was like, this is what I'm gonna grow up and be. I thought I was gonna grow up and be a corporate attorney. I don't know where I had that, but somewhere I heard that and it sounded good. And so I was like, okay, I'm <laughs> smart. I can do this. So, so the shaping really had to do, really was really um, driven by my desire to make power work in a way to stop pain in people, right? And so for me, politics was one way. You know, it is. I kind of just it it kind of called me forth. It was one way that I could see how you could engage folks to really stop the pain that was happening to them to stop the pain happening in their community um and so that's that's kind of what moved me and that's really moved and shaped me in the work that I do now
0: talk about and we're talking with Latasha Brown who also can sing her face off apparently um which I love which I love the first victory the first time you knew oh okay your intent was to Mm. stop the pain. Your intent Mm. was to galvanize this power for the use of your people. When did you see the first evidence of this could could work? You know, it's
1: interesting. It is the the first time that I, it's not the first time I had victory because I saw victories in many uh, ways before that. There's a a first time I saw victory was actually when I was actually running for um, a student, council position, right? But the first time that I really felt the, um what organizing could do in terms of galvanizing people for power. Um, I don't know if it's the first time, let me say this. I'm not gonna say it was the first, first time. Let, I'm being drawn right now to share the time that was probably most impactful. The first time that, that was the most impactful for me. And that was actually just in 2000. Um, I was in in two there there are kind of two things that happen um and it's really one one kind of anchors the other. so I'll start with two thousand and I'm gonna go back to nineteen ninety eight So in two thousand there was in Selma, Alabama, we had the same mayor in Selma, Alabama Joe T. Smithman had been the mayor of Selma. Ever since Dr. King had marched across the bridge, matter of fact, he was the mayor that had called Dr. King Dr. Martin Luther King. Now, this is in a 70% black city that is known for the voting rights movement, right? Yet, it had never had an African American mayor, um, and and it was interesting because there were all these. Theories that folks outside of the city had about, you know, we were too scared or why y'all won't organize and all of these things. When the truth of the matter is, part of that resulted from voter suppression. Like, literally, how in a 70% um, black city, how you keep winning? Um, vote why on election day now the city is 50 50 right it was just it just the the numbers didn't add up and we know it was documented it was voter suppression which means in order to offset the voter suppression we had to have a higher turnout and so in that in that election we worked like crazy there was a campaign that um one of um one of my mentors had come up with and it was called the joe gotta go his name was Joe Smith was like, Joe gotta go. And literally there was all, and, and so for me, I decided as a young woman at the time I was in my twenties, I was like, I'm gonna focus on, I'm focusing on the Joe gotta go. I mean, I'm gonna focus on the young folks and engaging the young people. Um, Cliff and I, which is interesting before we started Black Voters Matter, you can also, you can might say that that was probably the genesis of Black Voters Matter started. And so we organized our faces off. Like, I mean, we organized, we organized so much that literally the 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 clothes the polls were closed and we were on our way to the House to pull some folk up out of the House to go vote. And we started seeing people line up on the street, on Broad Street in Selma. And we were like, what is happening? And people knew that they people could feel victory in the air. They just literally, people just literally just started lining on the streets, right? Knowing that victory had taken place. And so um, that particular moment was we wound up flipping this seat And electing our first African American mayor, who ironically was just elected um, again this year um, after a little hiatus, he's been uh, elected again. Um, And uh, uh, Mayor Perkins. What it was interesting because I felt the power of it. And I'm telling you, you could feel it in the air literally out of all the years I stayed in Selma. Like, I was like, people are just lining up on the streets. Like, we knew we won. Like, we knew we had won, right? And it's interesting because it kind of reminds me of, I know folks gonna say, well, no, I was very, I was clear that we had done everything we could do in 2020. And if there was any time that black folks could make an impact and a difference in an election, it was this year, I knew it. Like I knew it, I felt it, I could feel it. And so, um, and, and my judge of the win was how well are we gonna show up? And so that was the first time I remember, like I, I remember feeling the, what organized power could do. That like literally it created, it wasn't just waiting on the results. People could feel the energy. We knew we had done something, right? And it, and it didn't even matter. It was almost like the wind happened before the results came out. Like the wind was in us. We knew we had showed up, right? And so it was something about that moment what was defining for me around the power of showing up, right? And so two years prior to that, in an in interesting, like on the opposite end of it, I had run for um, State Board of Education. I was a young woman. I never ran for office before. I was a single mother, um, no name recognition outside of organs in, in the circles. But what was interesting is the same lesson applied there. The one thing I knew is you can't outorganize me. Now you might be able to raise more money. You might be able to do some other things, right? But you can't, uh, you can't get me on the ground. You can't out-organize me on the ground. It's kind of like the cousin that plays spades that no, like literally walk around with the spades cars, like you can't beat me on spades now, right? So it was a certain kind of confidence uh, that I had around organizing that came from deep listening, to be honest, and being trained by master organizers. And so, you know, that year I knew I didn't know what I was doing. I had a girlfriend who uh, Rhonda Ridley, who she had a Jetta, a blue Jetta. And so my campaign, all my campaign materials were created in Kinkos, and my campaign office was a Jetta, a blue Jetta. Towards the end, we got a little money. We were were able to get a little office downtown. But for the most part, I ran my campaign in the streets. My campaign was in the streets. And so um, I was a long shot. Like there was like no way, like who would notice you know and and I was a quintessential example of everything they say is not electable, right? It was a 12 year incumbent who was a minister. Here I'm a young single woman, I did everything like, like you just like, you know, I'm wearing natural hair, natural hair. I had two strand twists similar to how um Stacey Abrams has her hair now. Um, uh, in a time that it wasn't cool, now it's cool now, but that wasn't cool. Um, in 20, you
0: know, you're right, yeah, you're now right.
1: in Alabama, that was not cool. Even my own mother was like, baby, when you go get a perm, right. And so, um, in that space, so I was rocking natural when natural wasn't cool. And in in all of those, I I didn't have all those degrees. I didn't have any of those things. And so I was like the antithesis of what they said candidate's supposed to be. Uh, But what was interesting is, towards maybe a week or two out, we realized I was leading the AP polls, which was remarkable. Um, And on election night, you know, it was. Matter of fact, the governor had called me, the governor of the state of Alabama called to congratulate me and only to discover that the race had not been, um, it was still, it, it, they couldn't call it. It was still going back and forth. So it took them seven days to call the race. Long story short, it was 117 votes. I, it was my first wow. time running I'm out there. I'm like, okay, I lost. And at they called the race, They the 117 votes, my opponent won. And what was interesting is I got a phone call at 12 o'clock on that day from my mentor saying, brace yourself, you're going to get a phone call from the Democratic Party. Get a phone call. And the chair of the party said, Latasha, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry to call and tell you this, but um, the sheriff in Wilcox County, which is one of the counties that I did very well in, said that he forgot he had 800 ballots that he had placed in the safe. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh good. He found them, you got them, let's count them. And it's a county that I carried. He was like, no, 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 the race has already been certified. I was like, what you, I mean, okay, but you're gonna count the votes, right? Because the votes were cast before that. No, no, no. The votes weren't found until after it was certified. And in that moment, I knew that they had stolen that election from me. And in many ways, there was nothing I could do. I felt powerless. I was like, I worked hard, I did all of this, I overcame all of this. And this sheriff can have that much power over like over the outcome and nothing and nobody else was held accountable. You know, I was told that. Um, I mean, I was advised that he was like, well, you know, only thing I can say is you can seek legal remedy that those things are very those challenges are very, very, very costly. I didn't have the resources. I mean, I'm like I told you, I was running my campaign out of a blue jitter, right? So it just wasn't, I didn't have the bandwidth or the resources to be able to do that. But what it did do, um, the reason why I brought it up is what it did do is it sharpened my analysis around voting and voting suppression. And it sharpened my analysis around how we have to show up to gain power, right? And that is sharpened my analysis of how organizing works that at the end of the day even though i did not win that election it was unquestionable for me that i had organized on the ground and so in my mind i was like if i could do this from for myself right in in this on, on this small scale literally this model of term, organized power is realized power and so it fed this whole belief this path for me around organizing works and talking to people and it was funny i wasn't running I really was running as a protest candidate. I wasn't really running necessarily. I was gonna run to win because I'm I'm a winner. I mean that's that's I'm a black woman. That's what (laughs) we do. We ain't we ain't just spinning no spinning our wheels. But but I didn't have it wasn't it wasn't like the race. If I didn't win, it was gonna make me or break me. So I was in some ways I was deep I was detached enough where I could really listen to people and I could really be an authentic candidate instead of being a scripted candidate right because I wasn't so blind by the power that fundamentally I was right I was running so that I could create a platform and so uh, many of those same lessons I've carried forward in my organizing um as I do the work now like really in terms of my uh, and you know there's also the time Karen that out of all the years um of organizing in the black community it was the first time I had felt um I had gone through a discrimination that because I was a woman, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I grew up in a black Baptist church. I couldn't believe this. Um, I had gone to a couple of churches and they wouldn't let me speak because they said, they wouldn't let me speak on the diocese because they said I was a woman and I couldn't come in the pulpit. And I was I was just like, I, 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 I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I just couldn't believe it. Um, and it also, that, I mean, that happened to me even most recently but all of it, I think all of those things actually kind of sharpened my analysis of how oppression works, and it sharpened my analysis around organizing and authentic voice, how effective authentic voice and listening can be in terms of getting people engaged that normally wouldn't engage. Most folks didn't care about the State Board of Education. They couldn't even tell you what the State Board of Education did, right? But I think that there was, um, in the campaign, I brought a lot of energy to it, because I was actually connecting people to it in a different kind of way that wasn't centered around me, was really centered around a larger vision of what we could do if we collectively use our
0: power. 866 801 TALK, 866 801 8255 is the number here on the Karen Hunter Show. We have the great Latasha Brown. Uh, Brown. Ms. Latasha Brown, Ms. Latasha Brown is where you could follow her. And of course, Black Voters Matter is the organization. Let's go back to, um, and, I, and I love what you said about mentorship. I don't think anybody gets to a place without that. I think we don't put enough time uh, sitting with elders. I don't think we spend enough time in the soil. I don't think we spend enough time learning and watching and listening to be able to, to have the muscle to go out and do what you're doing. But what is the, 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 the biggest element? If you were to break down the blueprint or the anatomy of organizing, what are the elements that will make you successful at that?
1: The first thing is it's so simple, it's almost comical, is to listen. Period. <laughs> like, like, you know, people organize, people approach organizing. A lot of folks, particularly new folks, will approach organizing like, I just need to get the people to believe what I believe. I just need to tell y'all what y'all need, right? People always got some advice for Black folks. Black folks always got some advice for black folks. You know, we always always a better way for us to do, to be, to hear, to see, everything, right? And and part of it is having the discipline to listen to folks. If you listen to people, they will tell you how to lead them. And so part of the process is listening. When we started Black Voters Matter, Karen, we had this idea of what we wanted to do. I mean, Cliff and I, Cliff Albright and I, the co-founders, have been doing this work for 27 years. So I mean, on some level we could say, well, we are experts at organizing. We are organized over 40 campaigns here, there and all kinds of stuff. So we could approach it from this is what y'all need to do. That's not what we did. The first six months of our work, we literally got in a rental car. We went to the back roads of, of seven states, to the state, all the states that folks don't think are sexy, the hard states, the states we were back in the back roads of South Georgia and down in the country in Mississippi Delta and in Alabama and Tennessee and South Carolina and North Carolina, all those states that folks are saying, oh, those are red states, but also the states where our people are. And so we would go to those communities, literally, not a big fan, um, fanfare, because nobody at the time knew who we were, right? We went on the faith and the belief that our folks got something to say and we want to hear it, right? And so we would go to communities and we would ask them, it would be interesting um, that a lot of our conversations we would ask about, tell us about power, tell us about what the power is here. And so interesting uh, how often you know we would realize that nobody had ever asked our community about power like like power wasn't the start of the conversation right and even when we talked about power it was how power was used against us right or how someone had power and we wanted to get access to it or power that we needed them to like like to either help us or or to stop hurting us but it was never from the context of we like no our power what power do we have Right, and so that that minutes that would shift some of the conversations to even when people would complain it was like yeah 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 we know what they're doing but we're talking about where is our power, right? And so uh, that we did that for six months, like literally this exercise of listening to listen to people, um, I think is important. The second thing is in Cliff's mentor and someone who greatly greatly influenced my life, who was uh, the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi.
0: Um, Mayor Lumumba. Chokwe Lumumba. Yes.
1: Yes. Chokwe would say you can't lead the people if you don't love the people. If you don't love the people, you can't lead the people. Right? Because if you don't love the people, you will betray the people. And that is the truest thing I have ever heard in my life. If you, I mean, some I love human beings. Don't you love human beings? But
0: human beings can be hard now. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. I was going to ask you about that. How do you lead people who don't want to be led? Or how do you... How do you help people lead themselves when there's friction? This election cycle, what you and your organization and, and Higher Heights and Stacey Abrams and her organ and all of the people who have been on the ground forever were able to do, I think is not, nothing short of a miracle with all the opposition in our own community telling people to stay home. You gotta focus on, I, I, I know this sounds so simple. I know
1: this sounds real California woo woo, but it's the truth. You gotta focus on the love. You gotta focus on, for me, I when I really love something, it's like a, a, a think about who the the, the the MVPs are in basketball. Like those are brothers that love basketball. They eat, sleep and breathe basketball, right? It The driver is when my muscles hurt. I love, there's some people who love to win. Right. It was interesting. I would watch the last dance um, with with about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. And all you had to do, all you had to do is to tell him what he can do. And it was a rap. like he he was going to a whole nother another level. He loved to win and he loved to push himself in that space. And I'm, I'm raising that because love is an activator right and a lot a lot of times we don't think about that we think of love as a feeling and not necessarily the power of love to activate and so we went around unapologetically telling black folks we love you we love you so much that we can actually see your power we love you so much that we are going to invest in you so there were over 600 organizations um in 11 states and 15 states that we invested in out of that space that spirit of we love you but we love you from a place of power matter of fact we literally focused on some of the stuff in America because we're like listen like if when you love somebody you bring correction this country has to be corrected. If you really love this country, you ain't going to stand when this country is on some BS. When you, If you love this country, like you say you do, you're going to show up in a way and you're going to be honest. Because think about your friends. You know, that that friend that you got to always agree with you, you already know. Right? The first time that there's a power (laughs) shift, a dynamic, I don't know if I can trust that sister. But that sister that will come to me and like, girl, you just wrong. Or you need to leave this alone. Or you need to stop that. Or you need to quit that job. Or you need to look, you need to think about yourself that sister that comes in your life and will give you the raw unadulterated truth and you know and you feel it love behind it that's that sister that's your best friend right and so I'm saying that's the same thing in this space love works across the board that fundamentally if we were doing this space we've been taught to do politics from a space of selfishness like to, like, let's do politics. But that's about how they do
0: it. it. I mean, but uh, you know, right. this this year, um, Latasha, and, and Lord knows, I do not want to cut you off, but I want to, I want to co-sign and 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 give a different, not a different perspective, added perspective. I think for for many of us growing up, we have been looking at our lives through the lens of white folk, whatever that's that right. means, right? That's through right. through a lens of what they can get from us, that's and right. and even when you think about greed is greed is good, you know. That has been, that's not who we are. That's right. So we've been being, I, I call it the drag queen theory. You know, we've been facsimiles of something that is never meant to be us and we are never going to do it as well. We're never going to be that instead of being us in this system that mm-hmm. we actually couldn't, it couldn't survive without us. But it requires us to be our full selves in order for it to be its best self. In order for America to win, black folk got to show up authentically as our full selves, which means community, the love you're talking about, seeing one another's brothers and sisters, understanding how power works for the good of the collective, not for me personally and my taxes, but all of us. And if everybody's not eating, I'm not happy. You know, like that has to be the edict. So I I just wanted to reiterate, I'm sorry. No, it's so true what
1: you're saying. In some ways, I think that each generation and each people bring their own space. I am convinced that black folks have been, if we ain't a demonstration of love, the fact that America ain't burned down right now, really really speaks to literally that we are a demonstration and an embodiment of love in the midst of pain, right? We are the embodiment of how there ain't nobody, and I'll put this up, check me if I'm wrong, there ain't nobody that really taps into understanding the power of democracy like Black folk, and it ain't about no system, it's literally about a sense of fairness and equity that people have a sense of Agency, and that when people are able to operate in their agency, it provides protection for them. We understand that. We understand that beyond, like, you know, there's some folks that see democracy as um, the only thing that they see, they don't even believe in a principle of democracy. You know, they see it as worshiping uh, um standing up for a flag that ain't patriotic you standing up for a flag and you want us to stand up for a flag because what you want is you want to control us if you really are honest about democracy then you wouldn't be out in the street saying don't count the votes like think about that's the most anti-democratic thing that you could actually say don't count the votes i mean like really so there are some in this country we don't have to be honest that have never wanted democracy don't want democracy have never done democracy have gone out of their way they created a war in this country, right, where millions of folks have died because they did not want folks to have access to be in a space around democracy. And so I'm I'm raising that because we got to know what time it is, but more than anything, Karen, we got to know who we are. Like that love is not a weakness love is our superpower i am clear love is my superpower right i am that sister that can both cuss you out and love you to death i'm her right you know and so i think i am she my 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 point is there's a particular way that we've allowed even this concept which is why with black voters matter we use these two our anchors our work in we anchor our work in love and power. Because I think that if literally, if there was an understanding of the use of both and the context of both, that we could literally create the nation that we deserve. That at the end of the day, folks don't even know what love is. How are you saying you love a country or you love people, human beings, and there are children in cages and that don't bother you? What's wrong with you? Like like what is wrong with you that there are women that are coming here seeking refuge, right? that are seeking refuge and getting a hysterectomy without their permission because they're from a, cause they got a different path. How dare you call another human being on this earth that you ain't do nothing to create an alien. Who the hell are you? You ain't from this world. Something wrong with you. If you see them as something other. My point is with all of that, the, the absence of love rests in the, that person when you when you are at the point that you're in you're unable to see the humanity of another human being there's some deficiency in you related to love. And so that's why I'm saying that on some level, I'm not talking about the love that we buy on Valentine's Day. I'm not talking about the love that we go to the movies. I'm talking about the very thing that allows you to tap into the human spirit that recognizes that all of these constructs from race to gender to sexuality are all labels that we've assigned to have some value that really don't have any value. That fundamentally what makes us human is that spirit within us that's within us right and so that love is an activator of that, and so I know that's not political and folks are like well that's not political. That's part of the problem. Part of the problem is if we shaped our politics and I've been saying this in the context of for the love of humanity. Just think about it. There were policies before any policy discussion folks set back in that regardless of where they were on the spectrum and said the policy we're going to create for the love of humanity blank like how, what kind of, what would that policy look like? If we made decisions around who to elect in the office and it was driven by for the love of humanity, I'm gonna vote this, what would that look like? What would the healthcare system look like if it was driven by that simple, that simple context of for the love of humanity, I'm gonna create this. What would business look like? I'm raising this because we're making this be complicated about like systems, like systems go to autocorrect when the problem of what we are fundamentally dealing with is that we have also embodied some of the very values that have been used to oppress us. Like here we are, we can talk about greed. We can talk about who is valuable and who's not valuable. Like all of those things. If I go down the list, the very thing that, let me tell you who Trump was and who Trump is. Trump is a culmination of a particular kind of mindset in this country. And it ain't just held by white folks. At the end of the day, this whole notion of um, I will win by whatever means necessary, whatever I gotta do, if I gotta step over somebody, if I got to um, um, beat somebody down, whatever I gotta do, if we, are taking that value system, that's what you're seeing reflected in him. If we are literally in this value system that says, well, I mean, COVID, we need this money. So, okay, COVID gonna kill a couple of people, but it's gonna be the weakest of us. So we can go forward. We do that every day. We make decisions every day about what's gonna get us money, right? At the expense of killing other people around us and not, and and thinking that is okay right we are literally have got allowed ourselves to have a particular space that we objectify women that my my value is how many how many holes i got on my arm right that that, that it that it becomes a defining mechanism and what material possessions i own that same that is out of the same exact mindset That is creating the oppression that we're fighting so i just say we have to step back and radically reimagine this country and we start with us how are we showing up in this moment how are we showing up in this space when we're talking about love and power to me karen that's the that's the real work like when we show Mm -hmm. up we have shown whenever we show up things got to change when i expect when i walk in the room things gonna change i expect that and if not I'm going back thinking like, why I didn't. Some got to move, even if I don't get what I want. A little more love got to be deposited in that room when I leave. You gonna think if nothing else. You gonna think about changing if nothing else. And so I'm just saying that at, at some point, if we took that on as a responsibility instead of being so infatuated on how I'm gonna do better than the, better, the the other person, but literally, how am I going to create a world that is going to benefit beyond me, that is going to benefit all of us? Why would we not want that world?
0: We do want that world, we do here. You're speaking to the converted, we are the choir. We are singing along in the background, humming. Uh, Latasha Brown is her name. How do we hold um, the Biden-Harris uh, administration accountable?
1: I think we have, it's the same way. I've, I've said this from day one. We, we talk about our work from um, uh, 365 days out of year, that that's when our work can't stop, won't stop. That that what will be a grave mistake, and let me, I'm, I'll go back and say what happened in the Obama administration. I'm somebody that worked on um, uh, uh, the Obama campaign as part of a pet for uh, uh, several states. And at the end of the day, you know, I think this whole notion of proxy democracy don't work that we're just going to elect somebody and let them go about their devices. One, we have to have an analysis is that the system ain't broken. The system is doing exactly what the system was designed to do, right? And so if we really want fundamental change then we're going to have to push leaders to they themselves push for that change and to create that change. And the bottom line is they will not do that.
0: If, what would be the incentive? What would be the incentive to- Well, some said, let's hold the vote. So we are not voting unless you do these things. Absolutely. So I, I, you know,
1: you know, this is my problem with, I do have a criticism around we we'll hold the vote vote. Um, and, it, and I would love to share that with you. You know, my cr- criticism around it is I just take a basketball game if I can, right? That, now I understand the spirit of it. I actually do, but I'm in a basketball game and somebody's gonna and I'm at another team I'm playing who has a home advantage, and they've got uh, referees that cheat. Y'all have played a game before that you know the referees gonna cheat, and you had the home advantage and you're down a couple of seconds, right? What you gonna do? I'm like they cheating. I'm just gonna sit on the side and I'm just gonna let them win this game. Some people will do that. Some people will give up and just decide I'm i I'm gonna show them a lesson. Let me tell you what Tasha Brown gonna do. I'm going hard in the paint. I'm going to try to make sure that I put this whooping on you that you don't realize the next time you try to cheat, the next time that there are consequences for messing with me and my people. And so part of my critique of not critique of the, you know, the criticism that the, the criticism that is the engine around the will hold the vote, I actually think that there's valid criticism around it, right? Around the political parties, right? But, the, but 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 as a strategy, I'm not sure what the strategy is because like right now, who we told the to vote? People at and where what like what what's the strategy? Where like what I mean you I mean you
0: uh, <laughs> I where know. you at in the game? I'm just saying <laughs> where you, where I you at? Know. I
1: don't where know where you at? Like, right, very, very quiet right now. Very very quiet. Very quiet. Because I mean, part of it is we need to understand this ain't about proving no point. This is about power. Damn it! You either get power, or you don't. And so sometimes even in the getting of power, I, I am one of the first ones that I will tell you as much as the work that I do, like you can find, I have sued the Democratic Party. For folks who all got all them theories, how many of them started third party? I have. How many of them have organized folks? I have. How many of them have sued the Democrats and Republicans? I have. So, yes, I can talk. I am going to talk because I'm not just just coming up with a theory, absence of trying the different tools. And have I failed? Absolutely. I've failed miserably, but I've also won extraordinarily as well. And so for me, I'm, I'm raising that because at the end of the day, you either in the game or you ain't. And that's fine. Everybody I don't want to play the game, and that's fine. But the bottom line is, for me, that my people are vulnerable. And when, I, when my folks are at war, I don't have the luxury I don't care about my opinion of being right. What I care about is if there's anything that I can do within my power to relieve some of the pain of my people, I'm going to do that. And you are foolish if you think that all folks are created equal, because I have been in a courtroom where there's one DA and another DA, and having just a change in a DA make a difference between whether our folks get six months in prison to life. I have seen the difference when it's a judge. So to pretend and act like it doesn't matter is not being authentic. It is not having an analysis about power. And so I I agree that we can't just focus on doing this now. We have to do a short term and long term strategy. For me, doing the voting work now is part of the harm reduction, while I'm also building and pushing around changing systems and creating all alternatives. If you ain't doing that work, I'm sorry, sit down somewhere right? You got to do that work. you got to do that work. And I'm not saying you got to do my work, but it is irresponsible to tell people to not fight for them to protect themselves, to see voting as a, so, I mean, let me just say this, and this is going to probably be a little controversial, but it's the truth. More black folks in Georgia voted for Biden than voted for Obama. So let me ask you this, Karen, you think we would vote for Biden? No. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. people have simplified this as if Black folks are some of the most sophisticated. Tactical voters in this country. We have always used the power of vote to protect our community. So they marginalize that when you make this all be about one issue, we ain't never had the luxury or the privilege. You don't understand white power, the analysis of how white power works in this country, right? If you if you reduce everything down to one issue, that fundamentally our voting and engagement has always been a tactical strategy around providing some relief and protection to our folks. None of us. Are, are, are romanticizing that I know that we about to have kumbaya on, on, on next week and all is gonna be well. No, but what we did understand is that someone that aligns themselves with a white supremacist, those of us from the deep South know that ain't nothing to play with, right? We did understand that there is a difference, right, between of um someone who literally has appointed all judges and not a single black one, not a single black person, not one, In four years, we know what that means. So writing is on the wall, right, with someone who has a long history, right, of using, of lying, of using whoever, he don't even care about white folks, right, but using whatever tactic he needs to use to gain power. I'm raising this because we got to get beyond this what I feel, opinion analysis, we talk about power. And so at the end of the day, if you break in my house and all I got is a bottle of, 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 of vitamins, I'm trying to beat the hell out of you with these vitamins. This is all I got, and <laughs> I'm going to use these vitamins to back you up off me. And so we got to see voting as, no, it is not, I'm the first one to say, it is not the panacea. It is not going to be the Black liberation um, um strategy. It is going to be one tool that could provide some relief for many in our community are hurting. If folks were figured out, folks to tell people not to vote, are you gonna take care of those folks that lose their benefits and it can make the difference between whether they live or die? Are you gonna take care of folks who literally are dependent on their healthcare right now, right? So at the end of the day, it is irresponsible when we're literally not having a conversation about what this is really about. And this is really a harm reduction strategy for our community, as I'm hoping, as we seek to build and to push other alternatives, so that we can replace these systems that we know are inherently racist.
0: Ms. Latasha Brown, I would like you to have uh, to be back. Uh, I want to talk to you off mic. I want to keep staying in fellowship. Uh, I want to help however we can. Ms. Latasha Brown, oh my God, you are a national treasure, and let me uh, thank you beyond what I even imagined. You are everything and more. Thank you for your service. Thank you for, for your heart. Thank you for your love. This is Tasha Brown.